0: Today's episode is brought to you by Peregrine Book Company, located at 219 North Cortez Street in historic downtown Prescott, Arizona. This beautiful boutique bookstore is in need of your business and support like all small businesses through this challenging time. Please head over to peregrinebookcompany.com to browse and purchase books online. While you're on their website, sign up for their weekly newsletter so you can get updates on their reopening plans. If the book says On Our Shelves Now, you can actually pick it up the next business day, or you can call 928-445-9000, and a bookseller will help you. Remember, peregrinebookcompany.com or 928-445-9000. Welcome to The Creative Convergence audible nexus of the creative arts. I'm your host, Candice Devine. Join me in conversation as we discuss the journey creatives take on their path to success. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. Today we have one of my besties as well as a bridesmaid in my wedding. Her name is Bethany Barton. Let me tell you a little bit more about her. Bethany Barton is an award-winning author and illustrator of children's books. Her 2015 book, I'm Trying to Love Spiders, garnered numerous awards and starred reviews, including the 2016 Children's Choice Award for third and fourth grade book of the year. Her 2017 book, Give Bees a Chance, was a 2017 Skiba Award finalist. It was listed in Scripps National Spelling Bee, Great Words, Great Works, and was featured in the New York Times. Her books have been translated into three languages, and her newest book, I'm Trying to Love Math, was just released in July of 2019. In her books, Bethany is passionate about helping kids, grownups too, face their fears using superpowers like facts and humor. As well as illustrating her own stories, Barton has illustrated for other authors as well, including Todd hasek Lowy's middle grade novel, 33 Minutes. She often spends several weeks of the year touring, doing school visits, speaking to authors and educators, and sharing her stories and creativity with young readers at schools and libraries across the globe. As a member of the motion picture union IATSE Local 44, Bethany Barton has a very busy career as well in art, prop, and set decoration departments for film and TV. Notable projects include ABC's networks, The Muppets, The Middle, and Blackish, as well as movies like Bumblebee and hundreds of commercials. She is also an accomplished miniatures fabricator and general maker of things. When Bethany and her husband, production designer Michael Barton, aren't working on films or commercials together, they're busy laughing, eating guacamole, and enjoying the heck out of their son, Leo. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with my dear friend, Bethany Barton. To learn more about her, check out our show notes and find links to her social media accounts and websites. Hi, Bethany Barton. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, Candace Devine. <laughs> <laughs> How are you today?
1: That was my podcast voice. That is a podcast. Uh, voice. I'm
0: all right. I'm all right. I'm so How are you? I'm well. I'm really happy to see Thank your face. Thank you for having me. For everybody listening, I've known Bethany for a long, long time. We went to college together. We lived together at one point. Um, I have seen you through your trajectory of living in your car all the way to child author glory.
1: Did you know me when I lived in my car?
0: I did know you. We were not type friends yet, but I didn't know you. Magic. Didn't, <laughs> <laughs> which let's, let's get into that because that's not that specifically, but let's start at the beginning. Where was little Bethany Gail Barton born? Originally Bethany, oh, Gail, Bethany Gail Hogan Barton.
1: Yeah, it was a Hogan. Wow, I didn't know we're going back there. Oh, we're far. going I'm from the get to the I was thinking the to get. start at the car. Um, okay, I was born a, outside Chicago. You might hear that, yeah. Chicago. Uh, Chicago parents, but my dad worked in the news media. So we moved all over the country. I actually went to 10 different schools before high school across like six or seven different states.
0: And did did you you have siblings. siblings? Were you an only child? I do.
1: I have an older brother and I have two older sisters who are identical twins. Um, there's a big age difference between all of us though. My brother's 12 years older than me and my sisters are seven years older than me. Yeah. They like to take their time. You were the whoops love baby. Well, no, they were trying to have me because, well, this is the story. I was probably a whoops baby, but (laughs) the story is that they were trying to have me because my mother was pregnant with another baby between the twins and I, and then they got in a horrible car accident. She lost the baby boy at about, she was like five months pregnant, I think two (gasps) or six. Yeah, so in the Bible, Catholic parents, uh, Lazarus was raised from the dead in a town called Bethany, and I am life from death. I love that. Yeah, did you know that?
0: I don't think I knew that actually. I'm, I, I've had more fun talking with people I've known for a long time because I actually learn. I just said actually three times in a row. <laughs> I learn things that you know when you ha- when you've been friends with somebody for a long time, you lose sight of details sometimes because yeah. you just get caught up in the existence of existing and you kind of pick up from where you are and move forward and create memories and all these you know things that you share between you and your friends and sometimes we forget to ask about the humble beginnings so i did not know that story i mean i knew i knew you were named i knew bethany was a name in the bible but i did not know mm-hmm. that that's the meaning behind it and the reason why which is yep. pretty cool so you traveled a ton were you through those years for let's let's go like kindergarten through, you know, elementary school ish. Were you already a creative kind of kid? Were you drawing, singing, dancing, acting? What were you doing in your pastimes as a young little munchkin with older uh, siblings?
1: Well, I don't know if I can my childhood's a big weird blur. Um there's some stuff that I think I've blocked out, too. So I don't know if I can give you a timeline of things, but um, I was a creative kid in dancing and singing and things. Uh, I do remember, like, yeah, doing ballet and stuff. I think that my fan's making a weird high-pitched noise. I don't hear it. So as long as it's
0: not bothering you. Um, it is bothering oh. me. Ma- no. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, the t- girl, turn it off. I'm going to beat the fan
1: up. Um, no, but so I was definitely singing and dancing. I was always singing. I did a lot of singing. Um, and then making art. I When we lived in Arizona. Whoop, whoop. Uh, what part of Arizona? In Arizona? Oh, we lived in Glendale, Arizona, outside of Phoenix. Yeah. Uh, And then my dad moved down at one point to Tucson and was seeing if he was going to stay at the paper there long enough, I think, for us to follow. I don't really remember how that worked. So he was there for a couple months, Phoenix and Tucson, because he worked for the Phoenix Daily Star and the Tucson Daily Sun, I think they were called. Sure. I was in like second (laughs) grade. But um, yeah, so I think I won a statewide award for something I drew in I think I was in Arizona at the time because I remember that we went to a thing and there was, there was like donuts and I was very and busy. a
0: kids medal, yeah. And you were like I'm a big deal. So let's I'm, let's just flash, just jump forward then. Let's go to the junior high years. Where were you for that?
1: I was in Southern California already, uh, Catholic school, and I would have been like singing, dancing, musical theatering, and drawing and storytelling. Yeah all the things.
0: Did you find, was that an outlet for you specifically, or was that just something kind of pastime? Did you know you were good at those things? You know what I mean? Like, was that something that (laughs) you were like, I have an affinity for this. I enjoy this. Or was it just kind of like, I'm bored. And. uh, No,
1: I loved it. I was passionate about it. I was very into all the arts, which my siblings are more science minded. There's like a doctor and a physical therapist. My brothers master's degree is in uh like i don't know what the word kinesiology but not kinesiology it's a more sciencey word for that (laughs) uh i'm not the science one it's okay um so uh Sports psychology? Maybe that's what
0: it is. That's not kinesiology that's at all. That's not because... Yeah, <laughs> I was even like, well, that could very well be what he does, but that's not kinesiology go. specifically. Nope. Okay. Um,
1: so anyways, uh, so my mom, who had been an artist and a comedian, and she'd been part of, like, the original Second City outside of Chicago, and uh, my mom, notebooks and notebooks and notebooks of writing all the time. My mom wrote, like, Alexander Hamilton or something. Yeah. <laughs> and... Um, And then my dad also had been a writer. He had gotten a really prestigious uh, scholarship under a a playwright. I want to say like Arthur Miller, someone big. And both my parents are passed away. So I can't remember who it is now. And I can't ask them, but he got a really fancy thing that, and it was interrupted, unfortunately, by the Vietnam war. Maybe you've heard of it, but so they had both been writers. (laughs) And so storytelling and the arts, was in your house I was the only, only I was really the only kid who was super drawn to it. My sisters played instruments and sang a little bit they were much more like sports and science oriented so my my mom was stoked. she got an art kid uh, and I was very passionate about it. I think also part of it was motivated about like just being out of the house a lot because there was alcoholism in my house and there was Just, you know, kind of not knowing where you're coming home to. And so it was like, "Hmm, I'll just have rehearsal three nights a week and do all these other things. And then I'm never home. Totally.
0: And that worked out well. When did you decide, like going into high school, did you have any kind of inkling or idea that this is what I want to do? Or did you just kind of use it as an escape? At what point did you kind of decipher the difference between a life path versus a hobby?
1: Uh, I mean, I'm, I was very dramatic. So I think I always thought it was a life path. (laughs) I'm still very dramatic. Um, very dramatic. See, see what I did there. But, um, I think I always thought it was a life path. I think that I thought I was going to be an actor performer because, you know, your mom, you want to be like your mom. And she had been this you know, hilarious, brilliant. She had did like a couple episodes of Mork and Mindy with this recurring character. And she did like, like my mom was the coolest. Your mom's awesome. It was awesome. She, she is she awesome. Yeah. Um, so I think that was what I wanted to do and really enjoyed that. Um, and I was doing a lot of that in high school. And then
0: when I went into college, I was still pursuing, well. Okay, well, let's stop there for just one second because yeah. I want to interrupt you for a minute. Was college something you always thought you would do or go to? Or was it just something your parents wanted for you? Was that a road that you thought, like, I'm going to college? Or was it just like, oh, I should go to college, I guess? I
1: uh, education was super important in my family. I'm the only person in my family who doesn't have an advanced degree. I only have a bachelor's degree. Um, All my, something, my parents all got master's degrees or doctorates. Yeah. You
0: have a smarty pants family. MDs. Yeah.
1: So college was always, I mean, like I was was probably, it was, you were going, it it was an, yeah, it was an. Just a non-issue word. It was a non-issue. There we go. Non-issue is the word. Um, so I always knew it was going to happen, but my mom always said, it's not even so much about what you'll learn there. She's like, I just think socially you need to go out. She's like, even if it's community college, I'm going to kick you out and make you live somewhere else. She's like, I think you need to go out and she said this to all of us and uh, experience like being responsible for your own education, being responsible for your own self like creating your own community that doesn't
0: rely on. Which I think is a really valid point. I talk a lot about with with people about, you know, the idea of college, should everybody go? Should everybody not go? Is it something that is for everyone? And I do think on the... On the plus side, a really important attribute of that is it's kind of a gifted amount of time mm-hmm. where you are independent and you're in charge of your life in a sense, but you're still watched over, you're still attending classes, you're making friends, you're developing your independence as an adult in a safe space, kind True. of, you know, which yeah. I think has a lot of value versus you're 18 now, get out of the house, go figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Which I'm an advocate of. like, I, Yeah, I, it's also
1: pretty boss. Yeah,
0: I mean, I, I, I'm I, kind of into that. Like, when it comes to our own children, I definitely think if my son is like, I don't know if I'm a college guy, I'm going to mm-hmm. be like, no problem. Please take a year. Go travel the world and, uh, you know, get a job and maybe get a license in something you do really well. Yeah, you know? trade
1: schools, too. I'm a big fan of trade schools. Yeah. I wish
0: we had more of them. Just go learn the thing you want to do if you're
1: not interested in learning Or at about- least learn
0: it for now. And then if you want to try a different trade later, you know, go to that. Mm -hmm. But anyway, all that to be said, I do think there's a really valid point to your mom's thinking, which is, you know, this is a really good time for you to go establish community, to establish your passions, be in a safe environment, to experiment with what you want to do or be. She was really big on learning
1: uh, like social systems. And maybe it was because we were moving all the time. So she was like, are we screwing them up? They can't make constant friends, you know? Yeah. Um, but like there were several opportunities in my life where schools asked to skip me ahead that happened like three different times. And my mom was like, no. And I was furious because I wanted <laughs> to skip ahead because I was competitive. Yeah. Still kind of am, maybe a little, and <laughs> she said, no, socially, you need to learn how to get along with people who are your age, whether you're smarter than them or not. And that's a life lesson. And I'm like, uh, what? This is like, I did not get it. I was mad at my mom. Yeah. And then I knew, cause we would move and the new school would be like, oh, we should skip her grade. And my mom would say no again. So by the time it happened the third time, I was like, okay, this is how my mom feels. But she was really <laughs> big on having to learn. To deal with what of. you're in. Yeah. yeah. And I think now as a mom of a uh, My son has high-functioning autism, so it's like a social learning disability, right? I think it's like, wow, my mom was equipping me to learn how to uh, teach social skills in a way. Because my mother was a teacher. She taught fifth grade. She taught seventh grade. Um, She's an amazing teacher, but I think you know, there's not only the education in the classroom that comes from the book, there is so much. They just learn about how to people, just peopling in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And so she was really passionate about that and teaching empathy in the classroom and teaching. So I think that was sort of her system with us. Like you're going to go to college, whatever it is, you're going to some sort of school where you learn the social systems of being a quasi-adult. Right. And like you said, it's a soft landing
0: into into full adults. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's right before, you know, people actually just say no and kick you out the door. Yeah, <laughs> It's like that step right before people just go, no, when mm-hmm.
1: they always, you
0: know, you always hear people talking about in the real world, in the real world. And the reality is in the real world, that is actually what happens. People are like, you're late 10 times, you're fired. You know, yep. you're you're not good at this job or you're not doing or your whatever you're fired. Like n- nobody's just going, Oh, but you're so nice. I'll just give you a hundred chances. So yeah, you know, it's a that bummer, it. but you know, <laughs> um, so, college. Let's get into the college. Let's get into this decision of, d- is this when you finally went, this is like certifiably as far as on paper, I'm going to go to school for art in some capacity? Oh, not
1: really. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> no, that's, tell me more. I went to four different colleges and changed my major four times. <laughs> Where'd you start? Where'd you start and what was the so first major? I st- okay, so you're, I don't, you know this, right? I... So I was going to change the world. Still working on that. And um, I was going to say, I first, think that's. I
0: think that's generally just a work in progress. Even yeah, even we for, are doing you know, it, right? Mother Teresa, it's it's kind of a work in progress. We're working on it. Um,
1: I so my first thought because I had grown up very much like in the church, like in the Catholic Church, because Irish Catholic family, and then I had gone to Catholic school, and then my high school was actually like a Christian academy. So I was in that world, and first I was like, "Okay, the the Christian and Catholic Church have such an influence on the world. I'm gonna I'm gonna start there by fixing that." So I tried to go. I went to APU, and I was gonna be a pastor, and I was gonna like fix all the sexism and patriarchy and anti-homosexual sentiment. And, and that's the, what I was gonna do. I that's and, still a very applaudable. Yes, <laughs> but. Like, uh, trying to do that from within a Christian university where I was told by another student, not by, not by a professor. The professors there were actually awesome. I learned a lot of cool things, but I did have a student tell me like, well, you can't ever be a pastor. Women aren't permitted to teach before men. And I was like, I'm not in the right place. These are not my people. So then I didn't have a plan. So I think that's when I moved into my car. (laughs) (laughs)
0: i was like i know somewhere in here we're getting to the existence of car living i'm pretty sure i moved into my car then
1: and um i went to pasadena city college and that's when i was like i'll change the world through the arts is that when i already was doing the arts i was doing oh well no i was a poli-sci major i was going to change it through politics okay but i was still doing plays and things like i was in a a you know, Playhouse thing and some other stuff. And then, uh, so the arts were still very much a part of me. Then after poli sci, I was like, nah. And I moved into, I was like, this isn't, you know, politics isn't where I'm going to change it. I just need to change, like, how people relate to people, right? Really and so, quickly,
0: continue I wa- continue the thought, and then I have a question for you. Let's
1: oh, go. well, so then I moved actually into my best friend, Rebecca Rivera's basement. And uh I went to Crafton Hills College and I was a philosophy major. Um and then I went back to the arts and I switched over <laughs> to uh, Cal State Northridge and I was a theater ma- major. Um, but I was actually also a religious studies minor because I'm very drawn into obviously storytelling. Visual storytelling is what I like. Theater, that's why I like picture books, that's why whatever. Um their theater program is fantastic, if anyone's listening. And uh, Religious Studies Minor was largely because, uh, you know, religious stories are the original storytelling and the original asking of big questions and how we got here and explaining things and explaining our humanness. And so I was really, I was into that a lot as well.
0: That became my minor. Yeah. I, and that's right where we pick up where I pretty much met you. I do want to, just for humor's sake, go back about a nanosecond uh-huh. to the car before the basement. Uh-huh. Because we did have a mutual friend that you dated during that time. Perhaps. <laughs> that, that did uh, did impress upon me that often you had a car smell. And a yeah, mil- <laughs> yeah.
1: You threw me under the bus one time when you and did. Jim. We're acting in a scene together that I was directing. You Uh both did phenomenally, though. Jake Newton, if you're listening, you both did so well. Um, And then for some reason, I don't know why, Jake just told Candace, oh yeah, Bethany smelled
0: like mildew that whole
1: time (laughs) she lived in her car.
0: But so but oh, the reason I the reason I bring it up was not just to embarrass you over airways. Cuz I smelled
1: of mildew for us. No,
0: because three, you still smell months. like mildew. No, I'm totally kidding. She doesn't smell mm-hmm.
1: like mildew at all. Um Possibly, you can't hear. It's a podcast. <laughs> you can't smell. You can hear. I'm yeah. going to drink this
0: iced tea. <laughs> um no, the reason I I am bringing it back to that section is because I think that's an a really empowering and and in a very sideways view, an empowering move to be, your mom's like, go out into the world, support yourself, figure yourself out, go pay for your education. And you hit a point in your life where you're transitioning, transitioning, going from school to school, not really landing on the thing per se. And you're like, F it, I'll just sleep in my car while I figure this out. How long was that time period? And how did that work for you? And how did it feel? And did it give you um, kind of a renewed sense of fight or was it kind of a big hurdle that you were like, well, this sucks. This is where I am in my life. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I'm asking sincerely because. No,
1: No, I well, First of all, just to acknowledge the incredible privilege I had that a lot of people don't have. My dad actually paid for my school. His rule was as long as I was taking, I think I had to take 16 to 18 credits like you. I had to take a full, full load. uh, He would pay for it, but he wouldn't he wasn't going to pay for where I was living. So I worked at, you know, Starbucks. I worked at islands, fine burgers and drinks. I worked, at. Uh, I, was a I remember that chapter. Mm-hmm. Great cheese fries.
0: Um, Continue. Okay.
1: <laughs> I was a bartender I was a cocktail waitress. I was a roller skating waitress. I had so, so many jobs cause it's expensive. You were a
0: camp counselor,
1: beach camp. I was counselor. a camp counselor. Well, that was after yeah. college. Um, so that's yes. Acknowledging that privilege that a lot of people don't have. And, feeling very thankful. Um, but, uh, I think that living in a car definitely was sort of like when you focus a lens, like I knew I wanted to be an artist and I joke, I joked that my, uh, plan, you know, people make plans. My plan was that I wanted to be a working artist and I wanted to make pictures and write stories, uh, and tell stories. I didn't, it could also have been through acting and things but i would say make pictures and tell stories um, and i wanted to be able to exchange those pictures and stories for sandwiches like i that's that was my goal like i was just want to make the pictures and the stories and then be able to buy sandwiches i love
0: that though i love that though because it's so honest on you know what i mean it's yeah. not it's not grandiose it's a simple goal that actually yeah. means everything i, I want to be, be able, able to, to feed exchange myself art
1: for goods and services right that's so I think I, I actually living in a car, uh, was I think very driven to make a lot of art. Um, well, I was working a ton cause I was trying to get enough money to have somewhere to live. That wasn't a car, but, um, also, and I slept on many a couch. If I slept on your couch, I love you. um, <laughs> but, um and then, uh, I did a gallery show during that time um, with Joseph Malachi Ward. He's a very fancy comic book illustrator now, Malachi Ward. Um, But we did a gallery show at that time because I knew I wanted to be making art. And I was like, look, if I'm going to smell like mildew, apparently, I'm going to (laughs) make sure that I'm still making things. Wake up, make stuff. So, yeah, I think it, it definitely.
0: Was that your first gallery show? At that time? Isn't that where I bought that piece? The piece that I still have that's in, moved with me from every home really? I've ever lived. The Don't Panic. Yeah. I sent you a picture of it. It's in our new house still. It's, yeah, that it's was brilliant. from that show. It was from that show. Yeah. Yeah. Was that your first gallery show that you can recollect as far as like a formalized hang my yeah. work on the wall?
1: Yeah, It was my first one like – you know, where like the lights are actually pointed at the art and yeah. the walls are white and, and there's stuff. A, yeah. And there's
0: a price tag next to the art. Yeah. Yeah. That was the first, wow, we've
1: known each other a long time, Ken. Oh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but so, so from there, after that experience, did you feel like I can do this more and more and more, or was this like a stepping stone to something else? How did you feel about it at that time? Or were you like, um, I am off and running like, were you like? I had a gallery show. I did How it. I you know. I'm done. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> done. I'm done. i did it. All. I got, and I got a sandwich. I achieved all.
1: <laughs> did we trust. did? I think we had a tray of sandwiches. So hey, check it out. Um, I' trying to remember. That's little Bethany's brain. Old Bethany. Uh, well, I guess old Bethany's now, for being more accurate. Uh, I don't know. I know that. Like I, like I was saying, I think it, it definitely sort of turned the lens and made what I wanted a little more clear. But um, I really didn't know how to get there. I didn't know any working artists. Um,
0: so what did you do? I what remember- was your next step? Where did your brain go from there? And the thing that people should know about Bethany that I can speak to from a personal aspect is this woman's brain it never actually shuts off. So when I ask Yay. you that question, you're the person that's always. <laughs> she's always thinking. She's always thinking. Oh, I think we're probably similar in that regard. It's like mm-hmm. one thought is, a you know, a starting point to about a billion others. It's not like a single-minded. Oh, I'll do this, and okay, I'll just whatever. I, I mean, I, I've never known you to be that person. It's always been like, I can go with the wind, but also I have a billion things brewing under the surface I all the time. I do have a lot of things going.
1: My mom used to say that I didn't move towards like a, like people make lists and goals. And she's like, you don't really move towards that. You move towards an emotion. She's like, that's what you do. You find like, Ooh, I'm going to make these things because they make me feel this way. And I want to keep feeling this way. Yeah, that was so interesting. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I knew that I wanted to learn more. Oh, well, so then I, I was working as bartending a little place called Truxton's by LAX. You remember oh, that Oh, it's
0: such good margaritas. They did, because I made them. <laughs> um, <laughs> Maybe that's why they were so good. They were free. <laughs> no, don't tell Truxton's that. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. She always charged me. She always, charged me.
1: she always charged me. Yeah, 100%. Um, but... <laughs> I had a, a regular customer who is a brilliant woman and uh, she's a headhunter for like big fancy executives. And I remember saying to her, like, what do I do? I want to be an artist. I want to be an artist. And I'm a bartender. And she's like, well, you start there. You are an artist and a bartender. And she's like, she told me to make three lists. This woman changed my life. And I still do these lists. Uh, Patricia, I can't remember her last name, but we're still Facebook friends. Um, we uh three lists sorry it's okay mind going like we said it's always <laughs> going she said to make three lists and the first list is everything that you want all the things you want don't judge it you know i want this gallery show and and this many dollars in my account and this partner and this car, house, this house. And this. Yeah, and this feeling. So it's and like the dream
0: list. Family. It's, it's yeah. the unabashed, go for it all, anything you could ever want in life dream list. Yes. I Don't love those lists. Just barf it out on the list. I call that my lottery list. Like if lottery won, list? If, well, if yeah. I won the $300 million lottery, you know, like what would I do with that?
1: But then also including like emotional things. Like I want balance. I want peace. Yeah. I want like I all that. The things. Yeah. And then the second list is everything in your life right now that, that you think is in the way of list number one. So lack of money. I can't focus on a, telling one story at a time to Candace, um, <laughs> like whatever you throw it all down. I haven't yeah. met the person I haven't, you know, gotten the whatever. So you, you look at that, no judgment. You just look at that and put it aside. Then list number three is everything you know you would need to learn that you don't know yet to get list number one. So, okay, I would need to know how to balance a checkbook or I would need to know investment banking or I would need to know, you know how to put on a gallery show. How do I rent a building? Or I would need to know how to lay out a picture book for kids or I would need to know what publishing's about. So list number three. And then she's like, you just look at those lists and you put it aside. You don't make a plan. You just let your brain know, there's things that I want, there's things that are in the way, and there's things that I need to learn. And it changes how you act, whether you're aware of it or not.
0: I think that is absolutely brilliant. Yeah. So I'm gonna I am going to go that. home and make
1: lists today.
0: It's free, the free, best. Free, That's harder to say than you would think. I'm going to go make lists today.
1: <laughs> go make lists today. <laughs> today. <laughs>
0: Nailed it. Yeah. Um,
1: so I made those lists and I think I shared them with her and she was like, this is not how this works, but she, uh, she's like, you (laughs) almost got it. (laughs) It was very nice. Um, and then I think I was very driven towards thinking that I needed to go the fine art route at the time. And so I was like, well, I need to look. So what I need to learn how that whole world worked. I didn't know how it worked. You know, you go to art school and you learn a lot of how that works, but I, I went to theater school, so I didn't, know how that worked. And um, she's like, okay. But then money was in the way for me doing gallery shows and things. So she's like, okay, so you need to go get a job that pays you to know how the fine art world works. And I was like, okay. So I went and got a job at an art gallery.
0: I remember and, that.
1: Yeah. And I was an art dealer. Uh, and it was like getting paid. Not well, because I was working on commission only. But like getting paid to learn how the fine art world works. And I think... In doing that, I learned what I didn't want. And I was like, oh, this isn't the way I'm going to change the world. This is its own, you know, microcosm, its own- yeah. 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 It's its own subculture. And I, I want a different platform. I want, um, and it's while I was working there that my
0: husband, was he my husband yet? I, I don't, th- oh, well, let's back up for a second. You met your husband at CSUN.
1: I did, Cal State Northridge.
0: And how yeah. did that relationship um, also affect your career path of sorts. I mean, uh, you're you're still together, so I mean, I yes, don't mean to make are. it sound past tense. Um, Thank you. Still beautifully married and have a gorgeous child. Um, we do. But He's neat. Your husband, Michael Barton, Mike Barton. Um, he had kind of a different, similar but different in the arts. But he was looking more at like direction and mm-hmm. film and things like that. And I and you guys kind of teamed up. In a sense, because you have very complementary attributes with design Shucks. and painting, right? I mean, I'm yeah. I'm guiding you here. But in the sense of like, I do think that relationship and, and that time at CSUN definitely shaped some of your journey because you did, oh, definitely. Uh, you did ultimately get into like film and TV and all of that, which we haven't even gotten into.
1: Yeah. Well, that's part of what I think is cool about the CSUN theater program. And part of why I, I was drawn to it is it does work more hand in hand with the film department than a lot of other schools. Um, but also, yeah. So Mike uh, is crazy. So he got not a triple major because they don't call it that it's like a special major. Yeah. It's like a in self-design theater, p- major of sorts. Yeah, yeah. Just one, one or two is not enough for me. So he did theater film and marketing um, and his, which is so smart, right? Cause you want to learn all the it, things. Yeah. And yeah, went out into the world, um, was working, producing at Ray Bradbury's Pandemonium Theater Company, and he was, and then he got into, um, like, he made his own short film, and then he got into art department, actually, because we were all camp counselors together. You were two
0: camp. I was, too. It was so much fun. Yeah. I had the best body in my life. In uh, me, too. <laughs> we were so we worked on a beach every day from 6 a.m. to, like, 6 p.m. And we'd start mm-hmm. with coffee. We'd play volleyball and be on a beach all day. And then we'd like paddle out and drink a six pack. Yeah. It and then great. still had a six pack. And How then and still had a six pack. It was, yeah, it was definitely the best time of my physical life.
1: Yeah. He knows. <laughs> um We had worked, we, you know, the, the art world, you just, you get a bajillion different jobs. And at the end of one of the seasons of beach camp, uh, he, he, saw a shoot happening down the beach and he was like, guys, I'm not coming to beach camp today. I'm going to go get a job in the film industry. And he walked onto a set and found someone with a clipboard and said, I'm your guy. "Uh, Yeah. Like, Hey, here's my resume. I just got out of school. And the guy was so tickled that Mike had so much, so much Moxie, this guy, John Riggs, bless his soul. He was like, you know, what? this is a union gig. I can't hire you on anything, but I'm going to call you in a week. And, that's how Mike got into art department, literally he walked up to the guy with that clipboard and um, and then Mike ended up being super good at art department because he 's so left brain and right brain he 's a design mind and an art mind he 's a math brain and a you know visual brain so so he was already doing that, and he was on a movie in Louisiana mm-hmm. at the time that I was working at the art gallery, and then I was i think probably crying to him on the phone about not making any money working at the art gallery. And he was like, why don't you come out here?
0: And, it was uh, Baton Rouge, right? Or was it? Was it Baton Rouge? Shreveport. Shreveport. Shreve. Right.
1: He's like, come out here. Uh, you're a great painter. We, we need an extra set painter. And that's how I got into the set painting union. Scenic artist, set painter. Those are actually two different unions. I was a set painter, not a scenic artist. <laughs> Um, But yeah, and then I started just making custom paintings for shows in LA when we came back and making props and painting sets and walking into scene shops and saying, because I didn't know how you're supposed to do it and I didn't have any connections. So I would just walk into a scene shop and be like, hi, you're building sets here. I paint sets. You should hire me. And it's again, that thing of someone thought, you know, you
0: got Moxie can't I like it. But there's a lot to be, I'm going to jump in again on this. There's a lot to be said for that because I think so often we don't give ourselves enough credit to represent ourselves in a situation to be like, listen, you have no reason to hire me, but you should. And let me tell you why. I'm good at this. Mm -hmm. I'm a great worker. I'm a hard worker. I want to blah, 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 blah. I do think there is a lot of credit to be given to yourselves and any of us that have have stood up and raised our hands for ourselves, having mm-hmm. that confidence just to say, T- please take a chance on me. And
1: yeah. then having
0: the follow through to do it. Well, you know, there's a lot. Yeah, to and that. then
1: I think also, especially with the, the newer, younger generations, which like I'm at the very beginning of millennial. Um, Tom Adams, if you're listening, Tom Adams, who's still a mentor of mine to this day. When I came in and was this young kid and it was like, hire me to do, you know, to paint the sets. He was kind of rolling his eyes like that's another young kid who's going to think they know everything and not be teachable. Mm -hmm. And I just don't have time for that. And he told me from the beginning that he was thankful that I was like, yo, I know some things, but I don't know most things. Please teach me things. I'm a sponge. Yeah, I won't be a jerk about it. Yeah. And I think that's a hard thing uh, just for my friends who are significantly younger than me because they're told like, walk in there like you know everything. But like also walk in there with a
0: humility. Hum- I was just going to say, add a little humility to that mix. and yeah, be like, I'd I- really love to learn
1: more. Yeah, and people are scared
0: to take, you know,
1: people are like, well, I'm going to walk in and be the director. Like, no, you need to do the coffee getting job for a while. Like, that's how you learn things and I'm so thankful for the coffee I was able to get for people and I'm so thankful for like you know the random sets that Tom trusted me to paint and other people trusted me to paint so I could learn the things that I know now and kind of like Pat had said at my bar way back like you need to go find jobs that will pay you to learn the things you want to learn to get the end goal list and that's sort of what I was doing I just took the low you know bottom of the tier jobs learning and learning
0: yeah your way up Yeah. Yeah. I love that, though. And I think it's an important step to highlight because I think oftentimes when we look back over our career ascent, we skip over the part that, you know, everybody looks for the big moments. It was like, this was the big break or this was the thing. But, like, we forget to relish and appreciate walking through the shit (laughs) <laughs> you know to get yeah. your boots on to get well, to I the don't, and and not I don't that it's know that a bad everyone thing everyone has a big break i think
1: you know i think those are the stories that we tell about artists like and then this pivotal thing happens right. but you know sometimes it's a slow build forever and that's an okay path too and you're still making art and it doesn't make your story
0: any, any less, less- exciting or important. Absolutely. Well, and that's why I'm like, okay, wait, 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 wait. let's go back over those moments. You know, it sounds Mm -hmm. so silly, but it's like, I mean, even just like you just said, not that long ago, I'm in my car and it's like, if I'm living in my car and not paying rent, I better pump out a lot of product. You know what I mean? Like it's taking those moments that are quote unquote insignificant as far as life changing, but making them important enough to be life changing, you know? And that's, that's pretty cool.
1: And I think it was really important to me because, like, I knew by the time I was leaving season, I didn't want to act anymore because I recognized that as an artist, I wanted, you know, I wanted control, more control over my future. Yeah. And I also, I liked, I liked acting, but I kind of wanted to tell my own stories and I kind of wanted, I don't know, I just wanted to be. What, what was open to me at the time? Like, I didn't feel like I was going to be, it was going to keep my attention long enough. You know, there's people who I'm sure they have amazing, complex, deep careers where they're able to do all the things they want to do, but that wasn't where I thought it was headed. And I was like, I want to make sure I get to do the things I want to do.
0: I had that um, moment as well. I remember yeah. that feeling of just like, I'm so glad we all studied acting and we're in lots of plays and musicals and learned how to build shit and do all kinds of good things in the theater, which was great. And I love it. And I'm very thankful for that foundation. But I definitely had a moment like that as well, where it was just kind of like, mm, I don't know if this particular avenue is my lane. Yeah. You know, I love it. And- I, it's great. I mean, if it fell in my lap and somebody was like, do this. I mean, you and I did a short film together for Heather, right? Oh, yeah. Back? Yeah. We did. You know, and that was, it was great. Like when those moments come along, that's a lot of fun and it was great. But I definitely became disenchanted. I think it was more enchanted, similar to what you just said. It's more enchanted with the thing that you can kind of, I don't know if it's even control, but definitely shape and allow your Mm -hmm. own voice to come out in a more authentic way. Mm -hmm. You know, which I think is great. When did you, when did you kind of take the leap from there into children's books? Because we haven't... When did you start drawing? You were doing art, and a lot of your art is based around phrases and words and yeah. sentiment.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of text. Yeah. Um, well, Bethany has so her own
0: font. You're writing Yeah, is I your, do you, you it have a couple.
1: Um, yeah, I... Well, I... So I, I hopped over from set painting to... Um, Local 44 which is property and set decoration and I was a set decorator for a while which the way I describe that is set decoration is like interior design for film so you're doing like the furniture and the art on the walls and the lamps and the floral arrangements and the everything like okay so Mike would design like the structure we're in as an art director and now he's a production designer so he would do the whole mood of like I want it to feel like this and look like this and I want one of these beds in there and, and then the art director goes off and designy buildy builds with his team. And then the set deck goes off in their own team and we, we filled the space. And um, so I was doing that for a while. And then I got into the union for that local 44. And then I was super pregnant and my, (laughs) my someone at the union hall was like, you should stop being a department head as a, as a set deck and you should assist people because your life's going to change so much when you have this child and you're going to want more free time and you're so young and like you could just you know, you're working mostly for your husband and what happens when you guys have a baby and you're both not working. And I was like, that's true. So I moved down and started assisting people instead. So just working as a set deck buyer. So really you get to go out and supermarket sweep and bring all the things in. Which I'm super jealous of because because she's
0: always like off gallivanting, finding anything that's awesome for a period or a thing. And she'll be like, oh, look at all these mid-century modern lamps that we don't own. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's
1: fun. Like, I get to uh, spend other people's money. Yep. It's so fun. Um and so then yeah, buyer and then also working as an assistant, an assistant prop master, so doing props, um, like anything that's in the actor's hands and the doing a lot of prop fabrication. Mike does a lot of miniatures jobs, miniatures fabrication.
0: All right, everybody. Today's episode is brought to you by The Raven Cafe, located at 142 North Cortez Street in historic downtown Prescott, Arizona. I love this place. I eat there all the time, and let me tell you why. The Raven Cafe features a full, all-organic espresso bar and a wide variety of craft beers and wines. Their innovative menu is created with a focus on organic ingredients, many of which come from local sources. So head on over there. Enjoy a relaxing and comfortable environment, decorated with rotating art shows by local and regional visual artists. And on the weekends, a lineup of the best in up and coming local music. You don't wanna miss out on the Raven Cafe. It's absolutely one of my favorite spots in town. So head on over to ravencafe.com and order online or stop by to catch a happy hour on their beautiful rooftop patio.
1: So I was doing all that good stuff and um, somewhere in there, I was like, okay, so I'm telling other people's stories and this is awesome. It's cool. It's challenging. I like to be challenged. Um, I like that it's different all the time. Um, but I wanted to, so this is really before I was in TV, I was doing mostly um, commercials and shorter format, some web series things, but um I guess I was doing movies too. Sorry. Stream of consciousness. But I started an online blog where I was putting my, back when people blogged, (laughs) I was uh, doing a blog where I would put art every day, The Honesty Revolution. Um, And, you know, it has my little sayings, my little phrases that I put with it with art. I was doing that every day consistently. So I sort of had my own way of telling a story while I was like, you know, painting walls and building sets and moving pretty throw rugs for Target. And um, he <laughs> did a lot of Target ads. Bless yeah. you, Target. he paid a lot of my bills. Um, so in that, uh, my agent, Stephen Barr at Writer's House, who happens to be brothers of my now boy
0: bestie, Matt Barr. How did you get an agent?
1: That's going to be Keys. somebody... He found my blog, which is OK. So that's the crazy thing, right? They're like, how does that happen? You get picked
0: right up because the that's the moment when anybody listening right now is like, oh, wait, you just casually dropped a bomb. Your agent called. Wait, whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa. Where did that come in? How so did you do that? This is where that
1: happened. Yeah. When we were all beach
0: camp counselors, <laughs> yep. Matt Barr, who's now
1: my boy bestie, his brother, Stephen Barr, was briefly also a beach uh, beach camp counselor with yep. us. He saw my blog online because someone shared it on Facebook or something and thought they could be kids books because they're little stories with little monsters and creatures and things. And he reached out to me and said, hey, do you think that you could turn these into children's books? Because I think they're dynamic and could be that way. And there's a nice, raw honesty that kids will really respond to. And I was like, you want me to tell stories and make art in exchange for sandwiches? Do you realize (laughs) what a big deal that is? Yes, I've been dreaming of this moment. This is, it. this is the thing. I didn't know this was the sandwich catalyst. So, and I love kids and I love teaching. It was like the the intersection of all the things that I love doing. So yeah, uh, one of my little monsters on there, he turned into a two book deal and that was my first two books with uh, Penguin, which was uh, Dial Penguin at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then... Then I sort of moved into TV and I got, so I'm making books and I'm in TV. I guess my, my TV career kind of amped up, ramped up because I got into network TV and I started doing the Muppets and I started doing Mindy Project in the middle and Westworld and Blackish. Which I will say, say this. Now.
0: I do. Yeah. I do remember when you got the Muppets though, because that was like, um, could any yeah. more of my child fantasies come true?
1: The Muppets was mine as well. Cause I'm obsessed with the Muppets and puppets and puppet making that's another thing I love Um, and that was completely life changing and actually that the Muppets was my first show after both my parents
0: unexpectedly died Yeah, within three months of each other very rough period of time
1: it was a season Um, yeah I had a six month old baby Mike was in New York doing this James Franco movie and then both my parents dropped dead so that was cool
0: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, For listeners, please note, Bethany is sarcastic. (laughs) A little bit. In case you hadn't picked up on that yet, I I guarantee you uh, she did not mean that was cool in a a literal sense.
1: (laughs) Opposite of cool. I mean, I don't recommend it. Just
0: (laughs) if you have a choice. Yeah, Yeah. that was a definitely tough time. New mom. But the Muppets were fantastic in, in, it was like
1: my therapy yeah. because I took a while to go to therapy because I didn't really want to talk about it, but um, <laughs>
0: you had to process first. You had to process yeah. before talking.
1: And then I, my, like my beautiful friend, Peter Lentz was also grieving at the time and, you know, going through a lot at the same time. And, um, we were like grief buddies. Yay. And so it was just, it was great to have that in a community and,
0: that was really helpful. So let me ask you this. So you get approached by bestie guy friend's brother who is now like, I'm going to be your agent. I want you to take your ideas and put them into a kid book and la de dade, Shamil Shmazel." which, you know, everybody- sounds exactly like him. That's <laughs> weird. <laughs> He's going to listen to this and be like, damn you, Candace Devine. Um, how did you develop – your actual storylines, because now you're basically, you've been an artist, you've been a set deck, you're now being approached to take something that is very um, innate and authentic and you know from the depths of your own being, these ideas and these phrases, and I encourage everybody, I will ask you to share your links in a little bit so that everybody can go find your brilliant work. But how did you then become a first time, not only really a first time author, Mm -hmm. but soon to be an award-winning author. You launched from like zero to a hundred of success on this, but how did you bring those like quips and those little anecdotal concepts into a full formed children's book with ideas and storyline or how did you put all that together or transition it? Or did you have to?
1: No, I, I mean, I definitely did. It was... I honestly agent Steve walked me through it. He, I brought him a pile of art. He was in New York. That's where writer's house is. I was going to New York to do a trade show. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I was like, Hey, I'm going to be there in a couple of weeks. And he's like, cool, bring all your art. Uh, and you know, we'll have, we'll have a meeting. He hadn't signed me yet. And I brought all this art and he like gave me an assignment. He was like this character in this character or something he's like I want you to make a 10 page story with them and illustrate it and I did it so quick because I was like all right
0: yeah. and
1: you know and I'm writing every day and I write things every day and and I am a definitely an over creator I make when I make a book my books are usually 40 pages um, when you buy them in a store but I make hundreds of pages mm-hmm. I am an over maker and then I That's sort of how I process it, and then I I edit, edit, edit. Yeah, pull it down, whittle it down, whittle it down. That's what I do. So I made this ten page story, and he dug it, and that's when he signed me. And he was like, "Oh, you can add, you can add pages to this, but like you you get how to tell a story. That was his concern. Like, can you be, you can tell a great story in two paragraphs or or one line. And that's why can you tell a beginning, middle, end story?
0: Right. And there's a process to that, and I think it Mm -hmm. definitely takes some honing of a skill for that alone. When you've been, yeah. I have the art, I have the ideas, but putting it into a format that is cohesive and continual and has an arc. and But I, I would imagine you were able to lean on some of your theater background for that. because Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Reading, you know, uh, at CSUN, we had this class that AJ Kim taught where we were reading I mean, how many, hundreds of poems, hundreds, or poems, well, probably, but hundreds of plays is what I meant to say, Uh, just reading, 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 and I am a book addict. I read a lot, and I read a lot of short stories. I'm really into short stories. Um, A lot of Kurt Vonnegut. Oh, God bless him. It's my favorite, (laughs) I know. But I definitely um, relied on that, and I had written things. I'd written some plays. I'd written a screenplay. I'd written... Things. I just hadn't written in that, that children's book format. And as always, from my story we're hearing, I learned by doing. But, um, you know, there's this, this book, Art and Fear, if anyone's read Art and Fear. And the part that I always talk about in Art and Fear that really affected me was um, a pottery class. And the first day of class, the instructor... Sort of draws a line down the middle of the class and says, everyone on this side of the classroom, your only assignment this entire semester is to make one perfect pot, one perfect piece of pottery. And that's all you have to turn in. (laughs) If it's perfect, perfect, you get an A. This other side, I don't care what you make, but I want you to make so much pottery, you overwhelm me. Just make so So much much pottery. And... There, it's this interesting study and people who were trying to figure out what does a perfect pot look like
0: were crippling well, themselves. I was going to say perfection is subjective.
1: Yeah, and they just weren't and able impossible. To, <laughs> yeah. They were, they were psyching themselves out and they weren't able to make mistakes as much. And the people who were just creating, creating, creating were coming up with such inventive things because there were no stakes. It was like, well, oh, it got to make something. This one's going to have an arm. Totally. like Whatever. And I was like, okay, that's the way I need to make art because I'm such a control freak and I will think myself into a box. So it just needs to be, Bethany, when you're creating, you just make, you just make. And then you go back at the end and call through it and figure out what it's supposed to be. So I think that was sort of how my storytelling process went too. I just made, made, made and created, created, created. And, and then you know, shaped. Yeah, and then shaped. And then Stephen was very patient. And then my editor was Fantastic. So Um,
0: what was, tell us, tell our listeners, what was book number one and how does that book weigh in your psyche and in your heart compared to the others?
1: Ha! Uh, Book number one is This Monster Needs a Haircut. Mm Mm-hmm. Little Stuart. Little Stuart. um, You know, now I look at it and I see things that I would have changed or, you know, mistakes or, because everybody does that, right? You, like, look at a picture of yourself and I'm like, does that... Did I make this? <laughs> like everybody does that about everything they make. Um, so yeah, there are things that I would change, but it—I mean, it's darling. And I—I I just recently went on a book tour for my newest book. That well, it was my newest then. <laughs> COVID's a hell of a drug. I don't remember <laughs> when my books come out. Well, my last newest book, I'm trying to love math. I went on a t- book tour uh, on the East Coast, and I was going through like
0: Delaware and. New
1: York. Delaware is a
0: five minute state. You drive in, you see the welcome center and you drive out. It is very, but great school, (laughs) great school.
1: And, uh, you know, I was, I'm trying to remember everywhere I went over there, but all those States over there guys. And, um, I definitely went to Petoskey, Michigan because I love them.
0: Um, I'm trying to get you here, but you know, COVID
1: covid but while i was doing that i was having kids come up to me who were big stewart fans yeah. and i was like oh that book still has a life you know because to me it was 10 years ago that book came out i think 2010 Damn. um yeah oh bananas
0: it's- oh that's crazy ago. i did not put wow. that together
1: yeah wild right yeah um, but it, all my books have always been about getting kids to face their
0: fears using facts and humor and empathy and... Let's go down the list of your books, though, because I want to ask you about... Well, go down the list of your books, in order of which you've released.
1: Okay, so the first one, This Monster Needs a Haircut. Yes. Then the second in that series was This Monster Cannot Wait. yes. Which was about patience. Yes, and nobody bought that book, so that series ended. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, really thinking it was gonna because Barnes and Noble were like, if you change the cover, we're gonna give you special placement of blah blah blah. So I changed the the cover, but still, it didn't alas, get all the special placement. No one bought. So the then, box. where did you transition from there? So then I did. Um, I'm trying to love spiders. Yeah. Which I wanted to be sort of nonfiction. Well, my thought was it was gonna be an a narrative, nonfiction, interactive book, which like wasn't a thing that we knew. And there were some people when when my agent went to pitch it, some editors who were like, who does this person think
0: she is? She has like no books out and she's going to make up this weird thing? No. <laughs> well, and the reason I brought this up and the reason I want to discuss this transition is so you went through two books on Stuart, who is adorable, who I loved. And then, like you said, you were like, no one bought that. So did you internally go pivot and shift or was it just like, I have this other idea? What made it you- It was like, I
1: had this other idea. Like, you were
0: like, maybe we should try that.
1: Yeah. Well, when I t- pitched it to Steven- suggested it to Stephen because my pitches are terrible. When I suggested it to Stephen, um, he was like, yeah, 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 that, that, that.
0: So and he saw he pro- your vision. He, he professionally has good taste. Yeah. So I trust. If you hear that. a door opening, um, my She's little. He's leaving. I'm boring No, her. it's Bo. He's going to the bathroom. <laughs> my son is here. And he's like, I have to go potty. We're like, it's yeah. okay. It's okay. See, this go is body. live. This is how you know this is real. Um, child bathroom breaks. Mm-hmm. But so
1: mine hasn't come in. So
0: Stephen was the one that gave you kind of that stamp of yeah, go for it.
1: Well, he's always asking me like, what ideas are you marinating on, and I will tell him. And I had told him about this one, and he was like, yeah, go for it.
0: And <laughs> I remember my exact reaction was, excuse me, what? I have a deathly fear of spiders, and <laughs> you're going to do a book about it. This is not one of my Welcome. favorite plans of yours. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> Although come we own me. it, and I
0: have read it many times.
1: Yes. Yeah. And that's the one that got me the Children's Choice Award. Uh-huh.
0: The
1: two thousand six I don't remember what year.
0: 2016, I think. No, it must have been way older than that. Really? It doesn't. I don't maybe. know. You should own. Maybe you should know your own. But, statistics. Uh, third to fifth
1: grade <laughs> book of the year, third to fifth grade book of the yeah. year, and that was exciting. And uh, it got a lot of other love. And then, honestly, where. I am most stoked is that the regional awards from librarians from school districts, from like Utah children's literature councils and different things. They're the ones who really championed my book. And were like, this chick is trying to make kids learn and face fears and look at something and say, that freaks me out. Why does it freak me out? Maybe I can empathize with it. Maybe I can learn from it. Maybe I can laugh at it. Like she's teaching a thing they need to learn. Let's get it in our schools. And that's honestly like they've, Because teachers are the best. They should be the highest paid
0: people on the
1: earth. Amen and amen to that. So yeah, that's where it just found a life because the teachers and the
0: librarians just championed it and were like this. This is what we need more of. So what came after that book?
1: Uh, Give Bees a Chance. Mm, I like that one. I love bees. Um, And that grew out of, I was working on a movie out in the desert and we put a, trailer park out in the desert and i decorated this um the front yard of the trailer with like all these plants i wanted this one person to have like a crazy amazing garden but you put a bunch of plants in the middle of the desert and there's water and the bees find it so like bees moved in to our set and we went to go shoot and there was like beehive (laughs) there was a swarm it wasn't a hive yet and so we called the beekeeper cuz they were just going to try and kill them and I was like, "No, you no. can't kill bees." So we called the beekeeper and the beekeeper came in, saw the swarm and with gloved hands literally grabbed a swarm of moving bees, placed it, it's just a ball of bees, <laughs> placed it into a cardboard box, walked towards his truck, put it in the back of a truck and all the bees followed cuz the queen was in the middle of the swarm and they left and that was it. That was the end of it. And yeah, like,
0: there was no reason to kill those bees. Yeah, that guy is a superhero who picks up Balls of Bees, and I
1: want to give kids that same fearlessness. Can we have a
0: band called Balls of Bees?
1: Balls of Bees! (laughs) Thanks for coming out tonight.
0: (laughs) Sorry. It was such a poignant and and beautiful story, and I just, my brain, sorry, sorry. We'd be a 12-hit wonder. (laughs) It'd be amazing. If it were just Uh you and me and we were the Balls of Bees, it would be amazing. (laughs) I almost had water come out of my nose because <laughs> Bethany is, as she mentioned before, she's an incredible singer. So uh, maybe yes, that' maybe, maybe that'll be a future collaboration. Balls of bees. We'll start right after this. Yeah. Anyway, onward. So you had this yes, experience. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote a bees book, and again, teachers amazing, Loved championing it.
1: amazing. Then after that is I'm trying to love math. Mm-hmm. And uh, my husband, being a guy who likes to learn all the time, um, he is a production designer and art director. But he also got his
0: master's in physics in the you past know, he's few years. That guy, like you do, he went to space program in what? Sweden, Switzerland?
1: Uh, he went to CERN. Yeah, he had CERN, an internship yeah. at CERN. It was like largely in reaction to the most recent presidential election he was thinking that like he wanted to be a part of the sciences and empirical truths and like hey how can i like what i'm doing now is awesome but how can i also be doing something that maybe helps you know like what he's doing right now he's done some work that can help with chemotherapy and he's done amazing stuff like that he wanted to do something where he felt like it was having more of an impact on the the country Um, Cause he's rad. And so uh, that was sort of my response to him as I was like, how do I get as excited about math as my husband is? Cause Mike looks at an equation and it's like ice cream to him. He loves it. So I was trying to figure out how I could do the same. Uh, So I'm trying to love math. And then the newest one that just came out in the middle of a pandemic is called, I'm trying to love rocks. And it's an exploration of geology and boredom. Because sometimes when you learn, you're, oh, we're going to learn about rocks, that sounds super exciting. It's about having the courage to learn about something that might sound boring. I love that. And finding out that it's super rad. I love I'm that. I'm saying rad a lot. It's okay. The Ninja Turtles are going to sue me.
0: <laughs> May I ask you a handful of my poised and planned questioning questions, questioning line of questions. Yeah. You sent
1: them to me and I failed to look at them. So that's okay. So we're just going to go
0: over it in person because I feel like we're at least caught up to present day at this point, unless there's anything we've left out. I currently
1: work on ABC's blackish. Well, I'm going to be going back very soon. So you are still currently a a
0: successful published award-winning author illustrator of these incredible children's books. You are also are you technically set deck right now, or are you a? Dim- no, I'm assistant prop master. Okay. At Blackish
1: Randy Erickson's my rad prop master. Oh. Um, and then uh, I'm one of the assistant prop masters. So there's two of us. And then, uh, yeah, I just was a set deck buyer on Westworlds last season. And then I'm working on my next two books.
0: So if there's anything we can all learn from Bethany Gail Hogan Barton, or Bethany Barton, <laughs> um, is that there's no need to stick to one lane. There's no need. You can do all lanes if just do them well, right? I mean, mm-hmm. wouldn't you say that's kind of the thing? It's like you write books, but you write them well, and you're articulate and educational, and your your illustrations are adorable. I love them, and your own personal font that you create is incredible. But then on the other side of it, you're like, I also have a quote unquote, if you will, day job where you're problem solving, more making things, and it, yeah helping tell a story helping tell some awesome stories like blackish just- so when is- you tell people like what you do do you just say i'm an overall uh, badass in in a multifaceted career path How that's you- exactly
1: what i say <laughs> no <laughs>
0: uh i say i am the
1: assistant prop master at abc's blackish and i or an assistant prop master why
0: do i keep saying the you've gotten me full of my head and i'm forgetting banner exists you're the when it comes to me you're the only one i know so you are the i love you (laughs)
1: um yeah and then i'm also a children's book author and illustrator do you ever um, ask
0: yourself, like, why am I doing two things? Like, should I just do more books or more sets? Like, do you ever weigh those things? Or is it is it just the more the merrier and you enjoy it all?
1: You know, I used to think I only wanted to do one. And then I realized that I just like both so much. I'll always, I think, need to do a little bit of both. Like, maybe if books, uh, you know, if books are, like, crazy New York Times bestselling and I become... Harry Potter status, right? J.K. Uh, Rowling, then, yeah. Uh, no, I knew the name. I just was like, eh, I don't know. If I, oh, anyway. yeah, I don't know if I get in um, trouble, I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then I realized, like, creating alone in my studio is a little lonesome, and I and I do like the the collaborative. Artwork that television is. I like the challenge the television is. I like that I'm telling a story that is not mine. Like, I really like telling my own stories and telling them to a kid audience is incredible. And an educational setting is incredible. But I think that um, I also really enjoy, like, oh, I'm going to tell someone else's stories. And these are stories that I believe in or I'm stoked about or I am learning from. And uh, th- it's, that's a cool thing, too. And I, I kind of always want a little bit of both. I, I think I was really scared as a young artist living in my car that once I figured out what kind of artist I was going to be, I would have to only do that forever. That was scary to me because they like doing a lot of different types of art and a well, lot of different things. Isn't medium. that
0: initially why people get into art? Because it's the thing that isn't the same forever, typically. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, I think that that can seem daunting to an artist, even when it's within the confines of art itself. You're like, okay, but I don't want to just be pigeonholed to this one type of, I can only do this.
1: Yeah, and I think we're told like, well, if you're a brand or whatever, then you're only the this or you're only the that. And and I won't be successful if I don't put all my eggs into the one basket. And oh, I'm so glad team. you brought
0: up that word because that is definitely one of my questions. So let's just yeah. start there. And I think that I, well, I'm not letting you start. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I, when you're done with your thought, <laughs> I'm like, do not I speak that- anymore unless you're answering my next question. <laughs> I'm sorry, Candace. I apologize. No.
1: Uh, I I think that I learned that that's not true. That's what we're told. We're also told that we won't be successful as artists. Like even to this day, my sister's a fabulous doctor. And sometimes she's like, do you want me to pay for this? And I'm like, no, I own a house. Yeah. You're like, I don't live in my car anymore. (laughs) No, but I get it. Like I get that, that the perception she makes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah." And the perception that
0: artists it's like, yeah. So let's let's go down that road of that question. Where in mm-hmm. your life what has the definition of success been for you and how has that changed? What did you first like, you know, I, I can always compare it to what me. It's like I've said this a hundred billion times, but it's like out the gate, it's like, I want to be Whitney Houston. Mah! That's success. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Um now when I get a shower, I feel really successful. So <laughs> You know, it's just so true. And let's be honest, most of the time I just opt out of showers. It's not a yeah. really a time. We were thing both moms. Yeah. Did you <laughs> have a shower today? It's not a smell cast. We're fine. Yeah. So, but so for you, how, what, how have you defined success in your life at this point? But also, how has it changed from where maybe it used to be?
1: Oh, I think it changes a lot, which I think is a good thing for having the kind of goal that I had like make art tell stories sandwiches, having Change that be world. my <laughs> yeah, amen. Having that be my goal, I think, gave me more freedom um, to let success be sort of a moving mark. Um, I think at the beginning it was like I'm gonna have a, this, you know, a gallery show, and even at the beginning, a book, like it's gonna be New York Times best illustrated or something, you know, the, those big goals. And then having my son, I was like, no, maybe it looks more like being able to wake up and make art and still spend meaningful amounts of time with him because something, one of my mentors, Tom Adams told me, is kids spell love T I M E. And so you've got to be able to put that time in. And so I think single Bethany was like, make art all the time and never see anyone. I am a bit of a workaholic. I mean, Mm -hmm. my therapist, he says like, there's a lot of addiction in your family. you, channeled it into being a workaholic. You you made it, you know, like that's what I did with an addictive personality instead. But um, I think that making educational books, it's largely been about what it does to kids thinking and what it does with their way of addressing problems and addressing fears and addressing learning. And I think that is really fulfilling to me, much more fulfilling to me. Michelle Obama recently said in her, in the, in the Oprah podcast, um, while she was being interviewed, she said that she, she was talking about being married to Barack and that at one point in their marriage, she realized that she was looking to him to make her happy instead of being happy and bringing her happiness to share in happiness with him. And she was like, how dare I put my happiness, make my happiness someone else's responsibility. And then she sort of applied that to when she wrote her book saying How dare I make some list or some other people buying this book? What makes me feel successful about it? Right. What makes me feel successful about it has to be come from me. Totally. So that's shifted me as
0: well. I think that's such a valid point. I'll leave it to Michelle to have some brilliant insight. Um, what would you say now knowing what you've learned and knowing the journey you've taken and knowing where you are in a house with two successful careers, a beautiful family, (laughs) what would you tell your younger self at like, I don't know, 10, 11, 12, 13, what would be your advice to that girl with the lifespan that you've had? I feel like 10 a
1: little, I'm going to cry. I feel (laughs) like 10, 10, 11, 12, 13 was a rough time to be Bethany. Um, because there was, like I said, there was addiction in my house and whew, crying on podcasts. But okay. no one can know. <laughs> I'm just doing a weird voice, guys. Not crying.
0: It's okay. They're deep topics. My super you know? strong. And you're not, voice. I don't know if this is comforting or not. You are not the first. So <laughs> <laughs> apparently um, some of these questions uh, tend to get to the deeper realms. I don't know. How rude. <laughs> how inconsiderate. <laughs> can Candice Divide. So I think, uh,
1: huh just to relax probably like relax <laughs> i'm i'm bad at self-care i'm bad at um balance i'm bad at uh putting my needs like ahead of my sort of i don't know like my putting my needs ahead of my wants i think yeah. is is what i'm trying to say like I'll be like, oh, I want to do this, and I want to create this, and I want to make this, and not taking the time to be like, okay, but like, do
0: you need a nap? Have you (laughs) drinking water today? Like, I, I just say that part's a work in progress. You're not bad at it. It just needs. No, I'm definitely
1: learning. Being married to Mike Barton has been amazing because part of I think why I was so drawn to him, apart from him being brilliant and gorgeous, is that he has incredible boundaries. And I came from a family that didn't really have boundaries, and and learning from him first of all i like to joke that he looked at all the napkins i was drawing on and was like these are good now this is how we sell them for goods and services like he helped me recognize he had that, like
0: that frame of mind ahead of you like he saw yeah, like business
1: and then sort of awakened that in me because it was already in me like uh, my dad was a great businessman and i i definitely have that in me as well but um i think having the boundaries to be like Oh, you know, I, it, it's not selfish and horrible to, to take, choose myself, to take care of
0: yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: to and I nurture I think, and I,
0: yourself. Yeah.
1: But honestly, like, I feel like I was told that that, well, I mean, I know I was told that that was like all my siblings and I joke about how messed up we are about that. Like we, <laughs> like if I go get a massage, my, my best friend, Matt, and I joke about this too. If I go get a massage or if he goes and sits in his sauna, like we cry through the whole thing. We feel guilty doing self care. Yeah. And so I think I would have been like, just relax. That's yeah. okay. Taking care of you is a thing too. What because you- I think it does make me a better artist and a better mom and a better wife and a better person than emptying my tank and then trying to run on fumes for everyone, you know?
0: hundred on that one. I, I think that no truer words have ever been spoken. What do you tell yourself now? Relaxed. Relaxed. <laughs> <laughs> Drink water, Um,
1: slow down, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I have anxiety, normalized mental health. I have generalized anxiety disorder, and I make it look good. Um, And uh, so I do have to tell myself to relax a lot. I do have to tell myself. I, I'm, I want to learn everything all at once. And I just have to like slow down and be patient with myself. I think I'm a very impatient artist and that's clear in the art I make. I think it looks very frenzied and, and impatient. And, um, my someone at my agency, or maybe it was my editor, Tracy Gates, love her. Um, said that I have a strong graphic line and gestural artwork. And I was like, oh yeah, from my time of working in an art gallery, I know what that means. (laughs) And um, with the gestural, I always joke, just means real sloppy and looks like you did it fast. (laughs) So that's kind of what it is. Like, I think I have that frenzied look because I think art sort of shows you what the inside of the artist looks like. And I just need to, yes, that's a part of me, but you can't live... Like that. You can live
0: separately seven. in an, you can live alongside of it. It doesn't yeah. have to be all encompassing. And what's funny is
1: when I'm working for TV, and maybe that's part of why I like it so much, I definitely do set a more balanced pace and I'm definitely more like pragmatic and do this and your, organize this and make it. Yeah. Like, I mean, half of what I do is organizing things, like organizing the props, organizing. That's a large part of what you do as a uh, prop person. And so I
0: think maybe I just like the like. The rhythm of it, that, like, yeah. that, that systematic rhythmic behavior. So every <laughs> episode, it might be slightly different, but you have a systematic approach. Yeah. Yeah. What would you say has been your career high and your career low? Um, career high. Well, there's a couple of them. Is that against it's, the rules? No, there's, no rules. <laughs>
1: there's um, no rules. I mean, winning the Children's Choice Award, I didn't realize how cool that was until after the fact.
0: Um you also got a fancy star. Didn't you? Oh yeah, that? I have a bunch of star reviews. Those are very exciting.
1: Okay, this is kind of a cool one, ready. Well, in TV, there's a bunch. I mean, Muppets, Blackish, and Westworld all made me feel like, oh, I'm
0: cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I I, I mean, definitely would want to be friends with me. <laughs> I'm not terrible at what I do for a living. In fact,
1: I am quite good at what I do. Yeah. Kill me. <laughs> um, but yeah, so those made me feel cool. Uh, Blackish and Westworld just got Emmy nominations today. What? Hey, girl,
0: hey. Uh, I didn't. I'm not fancy, but You're, I love it, all the people who did. It takes your participation to get all those things.
1: Um,
0: participation trophy from the <laughs> Emmys? I'm going to lobby for that. Um, and then... <laughs> and then, uh... So you so, can't play soccer. You sat on the bench. You get an award. So you weren't directly... Involved for the Emmy, but you get an award. Well, the are directly, that's the thing, is that that's my point is that you are directly involved.
1: The Westworld one, props don't get Emmys because I guess we don't creatively contribute. This is a (laughs) shade look I'm throwing to the camera. But um, we don't get an Emmy, but uh, the art department, the art department for Westworld, which I was part of the team, the brilliant team, is what they're getting the Emmy nom for. But anyway. So you uh, are
0: Emmy nominated.
1: Not really. <laughs> but, <laughs> in any way I'm like, I'm like that Emmy's third cousin. But um, the... Uh, my first... Was it my first or second book? One of my Stuart books got a Kirkus review. That's the
0: one. That's what that, I was trying to get you to say.
1: Yeah. And my dad was still alive for this one, which is a bummer because him being a journalist and a writer, he saw this. Um, He... It said that my book was neither terrible nor terribly interesting. <laughs> and then it went on to recommend a different book about <laughs> haircuts. So it was haircuts. And I remember my dad being like, Kirkus can be really tough. It's fine. Da, 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 da. Um. So then it was exciting in, in other books beyond that to get starred Kirkus reviews. Yeah. Um, which a couple of my books have since then. And so that was kind of like, yeah.
0: That's a big milestone landmark for okay. sure. Okay, yeah. things. Yeah. So I think I have – do I have one or two more questions I want to ask you? Hmm. What would you listen – I mean, what would you listen? What would you tell – not yourself, mm. but young listeners listening to this podcast right now. What would be your piece of advice to them if they're a little young Bethany in the making or a little Joe in the making that's like, I love to draw. I want to do books. I yeah. love to do design and sets and things like that. What would you tell them?
1: Um, Just keep making stuff. Wake up and make stuff. Because it's all part of your art. Wake up and draw pictures. Wake up and write short stories. I love the practice of writing a short story. Um, Neil Gaiman has a quote, and I'm probably misquoting it, but it's along the lines of um, short stories are exercises in finishing things. Mm. So authors write, 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 but everybody has a novel they've never finished, right? I mean, I have like two, but a short story is literally an exercise in writing something that you're gonna finish because it's only gonna be a page long or two pages or whatever, um, but you have you have to finish it. That's the exercise. Um, also, so wake up and make stuff. Keep making things. Never stop making things. Um, also, be willing to fail. 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 So much failing. Make terrible art. I make so much horrible art. I have a flat file here filled with garbage. So much <laughs> garbage. Sorry to the trees that I put that garbage on, but um, but it's all it's all bricks in, in the the me that I'm building. Right and. Um, the third one, which just fell out of my brain. Oh, was going to be, don't be afraid to take the crappy low jobs. Don't be afraid to the take, low hanging
0: fruit that you learn.
1: Yeah. Stuff. The coffee getting jobs and the, cause you learn things there, you know? And, yeah. and honestly, people that I've worked with who were handed, you know, say being a director because they knew people honestly, Pretty much nine times out of ten, if not ten out of ten, don't ex- like don't impress me as much as people who took all sorts of different paths and to get learned, there and day. learned every angle and took. Yeah, they just have yeah. more to put into it. Not that like all of the there's and there's not one path. You know, some of them come from acting, some of them come from writing, some of them come from you know all these different paths, but they carry with them the texture of having done all, created all these other things, waking up, making so many different things. And you see that, you see that in the art.
0: I love that so much, Bethany Barton. I always love talking to you. You always say funny, brilliant, poignant, deep, revelating, is that a word? Go on. (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful things. And I always Mm -hmm, enjoy talking mm -hmm. to you because beautiful things come out of your mouth all the time. Where can people find you? Where are links they should be looking at? Like in my house? Do you want my address? Or- I mean, sure. I'm happy to send people to your house and, and terrorize you Rain in all pizza, sorts of ways. Six foot difference.
1: Yeah. Six foot distance. I can't yeah. talk. Um, I'm on the internet, BethanyBarton.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, my books are available wherever fine books are sold. Mm-hmm. Um, any Where indie bookstore, support your local indies. Yeah. Um, my socials, I'm on Instagram. My personal one is Bethany Barton. At Bethany Barton. Um, I also had one where I was posting art daily. At Bethany Barton Art. And I haven't posted there in a while, but if you kind of want to see some of the art, that's just my writing and, and sloppy silliness that's on there. Um, I'm on Twitter as Awesome Barton because someone already had Bethany Barton.
0: <laughs> I see you. I like Awesome Barton, though. And uh, yeah, and then last but not least, what what is coming? What's to come? What should we be keeping our eyes out for in the uh, Bethany Barton creativity world?
1: Bethany Barton creativity world. I definitely keep an eye on the coming season of Blackish because it's going to be rad. Because we our nation is going through the very necessary birthing pains of an anti racist movement, and um, I think that the writers of Blackish are going to really have a lot of cool things to say. Um, But look at what they're holding, because I don't even know what the props will be, but I bet they'll be cool. And then, as far as books go, I'm currently working on a book. I don't know if this has been announced. So here it is, Arizona. (laughs) Um, I'm trying to love garbage. (laughs) Oh. Crickets. Exactly. Trying to love garbage. Garbage. And then I'm following that up with... um, I don't know if I should say what I'm following it up with, but another book. Okay. And then, um, which and they're both explorations of icky things people are afraid of. And then uh I've been working on a middle grade novel, illustrated middle grade, since I was pregnant with my son, who's now almost seven. So at the heat, death of the universe, that book will be finished. <laughs> 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 but that's going to be great and as someone who moved a lot it's it talks about loneliness and being the new kid and uh friendship and um and also imaginary friends and talking socks
0: like i love you do. It. it i mean it's a combination for success all the way around yeah i talk to socks yeah I mean, what what <laughs> <laughs> I adore you, I love you so much. Thank you for being on today. I hope I didn't make you too late for no. uh, the, whatever's coming next. And um, we will tell all of our listeners where to find your links and things of that nature in our show notes so that everybody can find you. But I appreciate you for being on. I appreciate your genuine soul and all I your creativity. Am so thankful for being here. And I Such love I and you. And then call me. This
1: made me miss
0: you. <laughs> okay. This made you miss me? <laughs> yeah. She's like, this I, made me miss you. I mean, I before wasn't that, I, you before. Before I, that like, I totally didn't care. <laughs> so
1: quiet without Candace around.
0: <laughs> and on that note, I'll say goodbye. Adieu, good day to you. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by the Natural History Institute, located at 126 North Marina Street in historic downtown Prescott, Arizona. The Natural History Institute is a nonprofit which seeks to cultivate love and understanding of the natural world. They have programs for naturalists of all stripes, newcomer, novice, and veteran. All are welcome who are looking to deepen their relationship with the natural world. Please check out their website at naturalhistoryinstitute.org or head to their Natural History YouTube channel. Thank you for listening to The Creative Convergence, coming to you from Raven Sound Studio in historic downtown Prescott, Arizona. Are you a professional in the arts and would like to share your story with us? Or a company that would like to advertise with us? Shoot us an email at contact at com. Help support the arts by becoming a Raven Productions member. Get your perk card and be the first to know about all of our upcoming promotions, events, and online programs. Your membership will directly support the arts programs in our schools. Sign up today at ravenproductionsmedia.com. Until next time, be safe and enjoy the journey.